Warning, the following podcast may contain potential plot spoilers, but then again, it may not at all. Hello and welcome to Potential Spoilers. I'm Kieran and I'm joined by Maddie D. Kieran, mm? the book is actually a cookbook. Oh really? Mm-hmm. I feel like you have done that one before. Have I done that one? No, I don't think so. I think you've done several Twilight Zone episode spoilers. <laughs> We're going to reboot and rerun certain spoilers eventually, mm, I feel. Just like they're rebooting and rerunning the Twilight Zone. Yes, exactly. You know that Jordan Peele is doing that show now. For the third time? I don't know how many times they've done it. Mm. I don't know how many adaptions they've had it's over the years. But Black Mirror is essentially just Twilight yeah. Zone for the current generation. Yeah. And mild spoiler alert for my upcoming plot creation. It's not the last time that we're going to mention Black Mirror this this episode. Oh, that's interesting. So let's get straight into what we're talking about this week. We're actually taking a break from spoiling upcoming big blockbuster movies, Mm -hmm. from predicting plots, so on and so forth, as is tradition in the show. We deserve a break. And this is the third of our special episodes. That's right. So so we're drawing from our creative well again, and we're coming up. We're beating Hollywood to the punch, and we're inventing our own plot for a big blockbuster movie for a change. Yeah, because a lot of the writers in Hollywood listen to this show avidly, and you know they need ideas, because Obviously, they're struggling and floundering at the moment, so we're giving something back. (laughs) Yes. Not like we don't every week anyway. (laughs) Well, we do anyway, but yes. And the challenge we're facing this week is one that Hollywood is actually wrestling with themselves at the moment. Are they really wrestling with it? Yeah. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. Because they recently did this, right? Yeah, they did, and it kind of didn't work for them. So, (laughs) what we're doing, we're challenging ourselves with rebooting the Jurassic Park franchise. So we're not doing a remake of the first movie. We're not adapting the books. We're just directly rebooting the whole pre-existing franchise. We're wiping the slate clean and we're starting again with a brand new canon. That's right. Can be new characters. So as we saw recently... Jurassic Park had a soft reboot, I suppose you could call it. I guess it was kind of more of a sequel, yeah, in a reboot sort of way. Yeah, remake slash reboot, because it's still in the same canon, it's still in the same universe, it still involves the same characters and to some degree the same actors, but they essentially, with Jurassic World, did a a soft remake of that first Jurassic Park movie. But this is very much a thing these days. Yeah, very similar to the Star Wars movie. Yeah, Yeah. because that wasn't a reboot. A lot of people called it a reboot, but it isn't. It's a direct sequel. But it was a soft, again, a soft remake of the classic Star Wars Episode Four movie. Yeah. I guess it's really hard to define a reboot, right? It's like rebooting well, I a franchise can be a sequel. the best example of a reboot is the, the Godzilla movies oh, okay. throughout the years. Look how yeah. many times they've rebooted the Godzilla franchise. I think that's probably the most rebooted franchise <laughs> in existence. And yes, the Batman franchise has been rebooted several times. It's had several darker and grittier interpretations, as yeah. well as the James Bond franchise with the Daniel Craig movies. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's what we've challenged ourselves with this week. So we're going to do that with Jurassic Park. Now, I've got to say that I found this probably more challenging than any other special episode we've covered before. (laughs) Just because the Jurassic Park movies, as they exist now have basically pushed the limit, in my opinion, they've pushed the limit of what you can do with a movie about genetically engineered dinosaurs running around in a theme park. Mm. I mean, they did that in two movies and then essentially pushed the premise to the limit in the sequels. So it's sort of hard to come up with anything new. It's sort of hard to take the concept and then put a fresh spin on it. Okay. Again, in my opinion. I don't know about you, but even with Lord of the Rings, I didn't struggle this much. I didn't struggle too much with this. No? But I think that's going to be very telling in my plot because I think I'm... What, it's just shit? Less attached. 
You're less attached. Yeah, I think okay, so. Okay, well, let's get into that then. Right. What is your history with the Jurassic Park movies? Oh, well, if you listen to a podcast that we used to do, mm. you'll get to know all about our histories and opinions about that. And that podcast was Best Movie Quest, That's where right. we looked at the best movies ever made and broke them down plot by plot. Yeah. One of those movies was Jurassic One Park. Of those so we have Jurassic discussed Park. Jurassic Park before. And we were listening to that recently, and apparently I really liked Jurassic Park, I found yeah, out. Yeah, apparently so. My history with it, I watched it when I was a, a, a youth, like everybody else. And I'm not a massive fan. That's what else can I say about it? You liked the first movie well enough. Yeah, I liked it. It's a good movie. When I sat down and watched it for that show, I liked it. I never watched it since. Yeah, Um, I'm the same. It's a good movie. Yeah, absolutely. It has good points. Some of the movies in the series are better than others. I didn't like Jurassic World. I didn't like the third one. I can't really remember it that well. But Jurassic Park three. Yeah. Other than like watching it in the cinemas, being a kid when Jurassic Park hype was the thing, I don't really have much of a history with it. I've pretty much got the same history as you. Mm. I liked that first Jurassic Park movie i like some of the sequels but i wouldn't say they're my favorite movies of all time yeah i don't think i've ever gone out of my way to see a jurassic park movie in the cinemas but still every time i put them on i know what to expect quite like you i didn't love that jurassic world movie Mm. and i haven't even bothered seeing the sequel just because i heard that it was absolutely abysmal to be honest i was quite intoxicated when i watched the jurassic world movie so i can't really Really? remember a lot about it well for me that's the case for most movies (laughs) but typically i know whether i enjoy it or not yeah so yeah, again, quite like you, it's not a franchise that I feel super strongly about. Mm. So it's not something as precious to me as, for example, the Dragon Ball franchise or I suppose the Lord of the Rings franchise to you. Yeah. So I didn't really feel particularly precious about destroying the franchise in a way by coming up with something that might not live up to the expectations of fans. Yeah. But I sort of feel like my plot, my adaption of it, well, sorry, my reboot of it is almost what you would expect Hollywood to do oh. if they were adapting the novel say back in the 90s if they weren't as faithful in adapting the novel as they ended up being in the actual film but ended up making sort of like a schlocky 80s cheap thrill movie interesting is this the tone you're going for? Yes, absolutely. Oh, I'm looking forward absolutely. to it. I just wanted to throw every cliche at the wall and <laughs> but still try and make a Jurassic Park movie at the same time. All right. Should I get straight into Let's it? Let's go for it. I man. don't want to leave anybody in suspense anymore. I just want to start talking about my Jurassic Park movie, Jurassic Park, directed by, of all people, Neil Marshall. Oh, Now, we have talked Neil Marshall before on this podcast with our Hellboy episode. He was the director of that movie. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you're thinking, it seems like an odd choice for a Jurassic Park movie. I am thinking that. But when you hear the direction that my Jurassic Park movie goes in, I think you'll be in agreement. Oh, it's a character piece. Yes. (laughs) The dinosaurs are really (laughs) expressing themselves. Now, Neil Marshall also directed Dog Soldiers, if you ever saw that movie. Uh, No. Is that the one with the dogs? (laughs) You're going to have to be more specific than that. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it. I'm going to let you off the hook. It was a movie about a whole bunch of soldiers. I think they're in Ireland, if I'm not mistaken. Right. They go into a house. Turns out some of them are werewolves, and it's basically soldiers running around fighting for their lives against werewolves. Okay. It's very low budget, but I enjoyed it well enough when I was a kid and watched it. And he also did Descent, if you remember that as well, which is another low budget movie. It was about a group of women spelunkers going down into a cave, and they end yep. up finding like a group of cave dwelling people who uh, kill them in interesting ways. So I'm seeing a theme with these two movies. Yeah, I think Hellboy is probably his biggest budget Hollywood movie to date. But if you threw enough money at him, you never know what he could produce. He could produce something that's really spectacular. Give the man a chance, I say. (laughs) And he's getting his chance here with rebooting the Jurassic Park franchise. So he's got a hefty laurel weighing him down. He's got a lot of people to impress. (laughs) Why did you pick this director? All right, all right. I want to hear where you go with this. So... 
my <laughs> Jurassic Park movie, it's set in the not too distant future. Yep. So maybe within the next five to ten years. Essentially modern day. Right. Where we have billionaire John Hammond. Sound yep. familiar so far? It does sound familiar. Played by John Goodman. <laughs> what? I just wanted a big, overweight, cigar-smoking guy who's like... <laughs> John Goodman? Yeah. He's going to have to put the weight back on because John Goodman's recently lost a lot of his weight. But like, so. but like John Hammond wasn't a heavy set. Uh, no, this is my interpretation okay, of the right. character. I'll leave, I'll leave it on. So I just want your stereotypical Hollywood... Uh, Businessman or like rich yeah, guy. Yeah, rich guy, billionaire. Yeah, when you right. think American billionaire, what's the first thing that comes to your head? 10-gallon hat, I suppose Texan, overweight, cigar oh chomping, you're, you're sunglasses. You're destroying John Hammond? <laughs> yeah, essentially. So he's nothing like the character in the book or in the previous movies at all. So we're going in a completely new direction with it. So you're treating the audience like idiots. Absolutely. Okay. As is tradition with Hollywood <laughs> in these sort of movies. So anyway. it's not you calling the audience idiots, it's you saying Hollywood thinks the yeah. audience is idiots. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Lowest common denominator with this movie. <laughs> so John Hammond has made his fortune by creating a chain of super successful theme parks and zoos. So sort of think of him like Walt Disney, right. but on a larger scale. So his theme parks are the most amazing things in the world. I sort of drew a little bit of inspiration from Westworld, the movie and the mm-hmm. TV series. So so just imagine him a little bit like Anthony Hopkins' character in the Westworld TV show. He's had a lot of successes. There's a lot of branching parks. In Westworld, they had like Samurai World. And in the movie, they had Medieval World. And then there's also Future World in the sequel. So just sort of see it like he creates really super successful, rich theme parks that he funnels a whole heap of money into so that way that no other theme park can compete with them. Right. Basically like Disneyland. It's going to be say like Disney. Yes. Yeah. It's a satire of Disneyland and how much money they pour into their big new attractions like what is it Galaxy's Edge, the new Star Wars themed theme park in Disney World. I actually wrote here that Hammond spares no expense with any of his nice. attractions. So that's just a nice little callback nice. just in in writing form anyway. And so all of his zoos and theme parks are the most sought after tourist attractions in the world. People just can't wait to go and they can't wait to spend money. So he keeps making money so he can keep spending more money. And everyone is excited for the unveiling of his newest theme park. Can you guess it? Jurassic Park. A giant dinosaur themed safari park, which is located in the heart of a popular tourist island. I'm thinking something along the lines of like Hawaii. So there is basically civilization already existing there. There's a city there that's very important. And he's basically building the park to help boost the economy and the tourism dollars to this island city, basically. Because in the original, wasn't it a made up island? Yeah, it was a made up island and there was no civilization on it whatsoever. But there's conveniently civilization at your island. Yeah, there is. I'm making it more realistic so this is my grittier more realistic interpretation Uh, of the Jurassic Park universe so you're more likely to have a theme park close to civilization so people nearby have jobs he's creating jobs for the for the locals you don't have to stay in the theme park you can choose to stay at a nearby hotel or resort it all makes sense Plus, like I said, it's important for later. <laughs> now, this isn't a huge city either. It's only semi-populated. Probably about 8,000 people live there. <laughs> yeah, so if they all die, no one cares. Yeah, exactly. In my movie, the dinosaurs aren't real. They're not real dinosaurs at all. They're complicated robots powered by state-of-the-art artificial intelligence. Oh. So, this is a more realistic option for the Jurassic Park right. universe. So, this is something that they could potentially do in the future in real life. And they're all developed by Hammond's lead engineer, Ian Malcolm, who is played by Martin Freeman. Are you oh. familiar with Martin Freeman? He played yes. Bilbo in um, I am, the Hobbit movies. I'm a little disappointed that a certain you, Goldblum is not reprising the role. Well, no, he already did it. This is a different universe. Okay. That would set it in the same universe. And by definition, that's not what reboots do. So it's Martin Freeman. Basically, I wanted someone who is automatically dislikable on screen. 
And he's basically a very angry and selfish and proud man. But I want his anger to really sort of come across in an impotent he, way. He plays very much despicable kind of... Most of the time. Irritating Unlikable people, yeah. And I really wanted that from this character. So that's uh, why I cast Martin Freeman, a British man, as an American character. <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> so he's just going to be angry. Yeah. Right. But in an impotent way. So, you know, when some people yell and scream, you feel really threatened by it. It's like they're actually putting violence on you. He's when whiting. he yells and screams... It's coming from a place of not really being that strong. Yep. So Malcolm is extremely cocky and proud of his robotics work in Hammond's other theme parks. Uh, so you've just made two of the most beloved characters in the franchise complete jerks. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a complete re-envisioning. <laughs> and he is often accompanied by his meek assistant, Denise Nedry. Hey, Denise Nedry. <laughs> yes. Denise. Did you gender swap? <laughs> yes, I did. Played by Mindy Kaling. Oh, yeah? So you know Mindy Kaling. <laughs> Who's that? Who is she from? She's from the Mindy Project. If you're familiar with that show at all I can't say that I've really seen her in anything else But most people will know her from that program Okay Now Nedry, naturally, is terrified of Malcolm And she's often the target of his verbal rage Whenever something goes wrong You could totally see it Yeah, I can It's always Nedry's fault whenever something happens Even if it's not her fault So the underling that works hard But has never gotten a fair go That's right, never appreciated (laughs) Sorry, sorry to laugh so loud But it's like the original Ned wrote this movie (laughs) Yes Sorry, the original Dennis, whatever his name is, Newman. I just want to jump back a bit. Now that I've established the world and the universe of the movie, I actually have the movie opening with a cold open with a park engineer played by me because oh, I, I feel like it. we need to insert ourselves into more movies since the last special episode. <laughs> so I'm just like an unnamed, hapless park engineer going about his business. You can totally see it. It's in a dark room. It's in the middle of the night. He's like getting food from the vending machine or whatever. And then from around the corner, in stalks a velociraptor. And he starts freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. The velociraptor's growling and it's sneaking towards him. He sort of is pinned up. It's me. I'm pinned up against the wall. This is the role that wins you an Oscar, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm dropping my food all over the ground. <laughs> and then right as we think it's about to pounce on him, it just turns around and walks away. The lights come up. Ian Malcolm comes in with Denise Nedry. <laughs> And it's all revealed just to be a demonstration slash practical joke on this poor hapless engineer just to demonstrate that these dinosaur robots aren't dangerous. They're not programmed to be dangerous. They're not programmed to act like the dinosaurs the way that we'd expect. So essentially, they're being designed to act like actual theme park animatronics and they're naturally not going to harm people. It's been programmed in. They're smart. Okay. Now, John Hammond, you're going to have to really go with me here on this one. John Hammond's biggest rival in the theme park industry is Walt Igor. Okay. Played by Tom Hanks. <laughs> with a mustache, as you'd imagine. Essentially, it's just Disney. Right, okay. So, Walt used to have a successful chain What's of theme parks. What's his name again, sorry? Walt. Walt Igor. <laughs> okay. It's such a great name. It's based on Bob Iger. Okay. Bob Iger, Walt Disney. Gotcha. So, he used to have a successful chain of theme parks around the globe, but Hammond has quickly been putting him out of business. Igor's theme parks are more traditional. They've got roller coasters. They've got tunnels of love, whatever you have in a theme park. And he just can't compete with theme parks that offer super realistic experiences with robots and holograms and whatever else Hammond's got going. Now, Walt wants to publicly shame and discredit Hammond and put him out of business for good. So he hires the super hacker, John Arnold, played by Anthony Mackie. You may recognize him as playing, what's that character from the superhero movies? Captain America's buddy. He ends up taking over Captain America's role. Falcon, that's it. He plays Falcon in the Marvel movies. So he is super hacker John Arnold, and he is going to sabotage the upcoming opening of Jurassic Park. And at this point in the movie, we're introduced to the Grant family. I know you're thinking, Grant family? Again, go with me. With the father, 
Alan Grant. Okay. Played by Topher Grace. <laughs> You'll see why in a second. And his wife, Ellie Grant, played by Alison Brie. Right. Okay. Of course, okay. we know Alison Brie from Community, Mad Men, so on and so forth. She's a pretty popular household name. Yep. And their two daughters. Oh, dear God. Tina. And Alex. Mm-hmm. Now, Tina is the quirky, happy-go-lucky younger sister with aspirations of being a scientist, and she's played by McKenna Grace. Now, if you're not familiar with McKenna Grace, she played young Tonya Harding in I, Tonya, yep. and she's also Good in actress. the new movie, what is it, Annabelle Comes Home. She's the little girl from that movie. While her older sister, Alex, is too cool for school and hates her overall nerdy family, and she's played by Madison Davenport. If you're not familiar with her at all, she was in the third episode of the most recent Black Mirror series where she played exactly the same character <laughs> and I'm totally seeing the same dynamic between the two sisters. It was the episode with Miley Cyrus. I can't remember the name of it. Yep. So my whole idea, my whole angle is that all the family are the same. They're all nerdy. They're all cheery. But one's not. But yeah, one's the black sheep. Right. So Alan Grant is a paleontologist, something that I've kept from the previous iteration. I'm glad you kept something. And he's a paleontologist at the local university. So he basically gives lectures on dinosaurs rather than going out and doing up dinosaur bones or something. So more of an academic. Yeah. Right. So he's particularly interested in going to Jurassic Park since he has been obsessed with dinosaurs since he was a kid. So he's got dinosaur memorabilia, I suppose, all around the house, pictures of dinosaurs, (laughs) fossils, maybe one of those blow-up T-Rexes that everyone used to have back in the 90s, (laughs) just in the hallway. He's obsessed with dinosaurs. In fact, the whole family is excited to go, with the exception of Alex, who would rather just sit in her room on her smartphone all day. Play Fortnite. Yeah, exactly. Talk to boys, whatever (laughs) Whatever, teenagers do in these days. Yeah, whatever they do. Now, the day of the grand park opening has finally arrived, and the Grant family, along with thousands of other excited tourists, have flocked to the resort to see the opening of the dinosaur park, and Hammond himself appears in front of the world press to open the gates for the very first time and let everybody in, and the tourists are finally able to gape at wonder at the brand new Jurassic Park. Now, I sort of see it as though... It's like a fake zoo, essentially. When I had this Jurassic Park in mind, I was thinking along the lines of those rides like the Jungle Cruise in Disneyland, where all the animals are just animatronics and mm-hmm. you, you just pretend you're going through the African jungle, but there's no real danger. Mm-hmm. That, but on a much bigger scale. So does it come across like cheap or just not real? Well, they're very realistic. You'd almost believe that they are real dinosaurs. And it's like a zoo and it's presented as a zoo for dinosaurs but they're just robots. Okay. So that's what it is. And it's very commercial as well. There's a lot of shops and hotels and businesses and so on. Very similar to the way that Jurassic Park looked in the fourth Jurassic Park movie, Jurassic World. Now, amongst the happy crowds lurks a suspicious Mr. Arnold (laughs) who finds a quiet corner in a restaurant and furiously taps away at his laptop and he's able to wirelessly hack into Jurassic Park's computer mainframe and insert a virus. You can totally see where this is going. And it's his intention to cause the park computers to crash, causing all the robotic dinosaurs to shut down, therefore embarrassing Hammond and forcing him to close the park to deal with it. Oh, no. Right in the opening hours of the park. Now, once he inserts the virus, as expected, all the dinosaurs shut down and all the visitors in the park are visibly disappointed. They're like, oh, what's going on? I was really immersed there and they're all flopped over and lying on the ground. (laughs) John Goodman is like kicking them aggressively. Well, he gets angry. He whips out his cell phone. John Goodman, that is Hammond. And he immediately calls Malcolm, screaming at him to get it all back up and running again. And in turn, Malcolm threatens to fire Nedry, Denise Nedry, unless she can fix the issue in five minutes flat. And Nedry, being the skilled one out of the two, she's able to reboot the park systems in no time at all. And the park seems to be up and running again as per normal. However, 
and this is a big however, <laughs> Arnold's virus has altered the advanced AI code which operates the dinosaurs, and as soon as they power back up, they immediately become deadly killer robots. <laughs> okay. Even the herbivores. Even the herbivores. Even the herbivores. They want so to like, eat and do kill like, people. Does like their eyes turn red? Yes. It's like friend and then turns to enemy? Yeah, that's basically exactly how I imagine. When they come back on, all their eyes turn red. You can totally see them doing it in a cheesy movie. I'm hoping Martin Freeman is has a scene with his like shirt opened, reclining. That's on not going to happen. Oh, you missed opportunity. Kevin. As you'd imagine, chaos ensues. There's people scrambling everywhere as dinosaurs start ripping them up. Mm-hmm. I like to imagine as well. There's a scene with the engineer played by me. <laughs> <laughs> he comes he comes across the raptor again and he's just like, I'm not going to fall for it this time. And of course, because he's not aware that they've gone evil, it's just going to rip him apart. It's going to rip me apart. So the director liked you so much, he gave you more screen time? Well, it's just a gag that they set up earlier in the movie. Of course. Mr. Arnold's also going to be killed. I like to imagine that like a stegosaurus or something comes bursting out of the kitchen of the restaurant that he's sitting in and just smashes him in the head with his tail. <laughs> and it's all just really gory and over the top in sort of like a Paul Verhoeven way, like Robocop or maybe even Hellboy. The dinosaurs as well, to add insult to injury, they burst out of their enclosures and they chase the fleeing tourists out of the park and into the city. So now we're spreading from the park itself and we're causing chaos in the city itself. So dun, we're going to have... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> are you doing like Godzilla yep. theme? Yeah, sort of like that, but on a much gorier street level. Hammond, Malcolm and Nedry lock themselves into the park's control room and they essentially have big slides that drop down in front of the doors and turn it into a bunker and they attempt to shut down the dinosaurs, but they soon discover that the robots are now operating independently and can only be stopped physically. So the only way that you're going to beat one of these dinosaurs is if you destroy the robot entirely. Person to person. Mano e robot. The whole reason that I wanted to approach Jurassic Park from this angle was because I was inspired by the dinosaurs attack collector cards. Do you remember those? Yes, I I'm do. sure you do. Now, they were a Topps trading card series from, I think it was the... Was it the 50s? No, it was later. I think it was the, the 80s, 80s. Yeah. Which just depicted... I'm thinking of the alien ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just depicted a world where dinosaurs are suddenly transported back from, I guess, the Jurassic Age, the Cretaceous period, into modern world and they just go berserk and kill everybody. That's really what I wanted from this movie. So just dinosaurs just killing everyone in yeah. the most gruesome way possible? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So there's going to be like a couple... They're getting married. The husband is like slipping <laughs> the ring on the bride's finger and suddenly they're impaled <laughs> by like a triceratops Jeez. that smashes through the wall. Yeah, it's going to be like a school bus full of kids that are eaten by like a brontosaurus or whatever. Speaking of brontosauruses, I actually had this idea where you would be a policeman. <laughs> so there's nice. just a hapless unnamed policeman sitting in his police car eating donuts. <laughs> and then he's just trampled by all the dinosaurs that come like stampeding down the street. You couldn't make me a competent police officer? Well, if I'm an incompetent engineer, you're not going to be a competent policeman. <laughs> all right. Fantastic. Now, I better be in your movie as well. <laughs> well now I've got to fit you in. Yes. Now back at Jurassic Park, some of the dinosaurs finally break into the control room and Malcolm, in an effort to save himself, pushes Nedry at them so he and Hammond can escape. As you imagine, Nedry is just ripped apart by the dinosaurs, but they're distracted for long enough that they can just scramble out. Now they attempt to flee the island via helicopter, but is quickly taken down by pterodactyls. (laughs) I imagine they come flying in sort of like Rodan in Godzilla and they just slice up the propellers with their wings. Yeah, of course. Wow! Maybe like, maybe they, like, smash through the front windscreen with their beaks. What, like birds? Yeah, and then rip the pilot out. Okay. And then the helicopter crashes, but both Hammond and Malcolm survive the helicopter crash. They come crawling out of the wreckage. It's on fire. Yeah. And they're bloody and 
a little bit dazed. But as Hammond is like struggling to get to his feet, he's assaulted by a group of compies, you know, the little green dinosaurs from the second Jurassic Park movie. I think so, like those little things with the bulbous heads. Yeah, they've got long necks. Yeah, right, yeah. Anyway, he's pounced on by them and ripped apart. Now, this is actually how he died in the original novel, so... This is just a little bit of a wink to that. Okay. Malcolm, he's terrified. He doesn't know what to do. There's dinosaurs at every turn. So he turns to the nearest location where he can find refuge, which just happens to be a toilet block. Yes. As you'd imagine, he runs into the toilet block. He shuts himself in one of the cubicles. Just like in the classic movie, this is going to be the perfect nod and wink to it. A T-Rex rocks up, knocks down the walls. And he's just sitting on the toilet terrified and it's going to eat him. That's exactly what's going to happen. It's going to play out exactly like that scene in the original movie and everyone's going to cheer. <laughs> Is his pants going to be down on the toilet for some reason like they did in the original? No, his pants weren't down. Okay. He was wearing shorts. Oh, I thought he was. Okay. Everyone always thinks that, but that's not the case. Now we return to the Grant family. You can imagine this whole time that they have to stick together. The movie doesn't really focus on them. It more so focuses on the chaos and the park and the operators themselves. Yeah. But these characters are really serving as characters that I guess we can relate to and we feel sorry for and are really rooting for to make it out in the end. So we return to them. They're fighting for their lives while attempting to escape the dinosaur-infested city. I like to imagine as well there's this big unstoppable T-Rex or maybe an Allosaurus that's chasing them around everywhere. They can't stop it at all. They set it on fire, but then, you know, the robotic version of the T-Rex keeps following them Terminator-style out of the flames. And it's going to corner them. It looks like all hope is lost for the Grant family. I think that Alex is going to have a redeeming moment. I say I think that like, as though I'm doing a plot <laughs> prediction. I want Alex to have a redeeming moment where her family is going to be killed by the big robot T-Rex and she does something to save the day. She's a hero and says something in <laughs> line. Wait, wait a sec. Alex was just a bratty kid, right? Yeah. <laughs> she she didn't bad. want to be there. She spent the whole day looking at her phone until right. all the chaos happened. Right. But yeah, her family's just about to be killed by the T-Rex. She kills it and says, you know, I might hate them, but nobody's allowed to kill my family. <laughs> Something stupid only, like that. The only person that kills their family is me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really want to say that, but that's kind of like the impression that I'm getting now. They're safe from the T-Rex, but they're not safe from the rest of the dinosaurs. They're surrounded. It looks like all hope is lost for the Grant family. But at the last moment, they are rescued by the military who have come flying in. Of course, the island, being a small island, it doesn't have its own military. So I think hours have passed where the military are en route to the island. It's far enough away from the mainland that it takes them a little while to get there. So there's basically like this ticking clock where we have to survive. We have to avoid the dinosaurs long enough to wait for the military to come and save everybody. So last second, military come in. They open fire. They throw bombs. They drive tanks in. They go to war with the dinosaurs and the Grant family are bundled up into a helicopter where they are flown to safety. It's going to be very similar to the ending of the original Jurassic Park where they're all worn out, they're bloody, they're haggard, but happy and content that they've escaped with their lives, all the family's safe. And young Tina will turn to her dad and say, Daddy, I don't want to be a scientist anymore. I want to be in the military. (laughs) And they all laugh. Yes. And that is my Jurassic Park. God, sir. What rating is this movie? I want it to be a hard (laughs) R. I want us to go back to that. No children will be admitted at all. Well, And if I couldn't get the director of Hellboy, I want to get someone who did like Deadpool or something like that. Right, right. It's just that sort of movie. Hey, uh, creators of Jurassic Park, we're going to make a movie. It's going to have everyone die in it. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I liked it. It's kind of what I always wanted from Jurassic Park movie. And I just thought it's a good opportunity to go crazy. (laughs) 
and go more away from Jurassic Park and go closer to something more like Carnosaur, which came out at the same time as the original Jurassic Park. In fact, it beat it to release. Oh, man. But that is a terrible movie. Wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Carnosaur, that is. <laughs> One, two, or three. <laughs> they made three? Yes. Oh, dear. Now All I'm right. excited, Manny D. I'm, oh, I can't wait God, to hear yours. How do I top that? I don't know if I can. Let's go into my movie. Which has a title. Originally, my title was going to be Jurassic Vision. I know, really? quite cool. But Mine it's was changed. going to be Jurassic Park Unleashed, but I'm like, even that's even too lame for me. It's, it's changed, though. So, strap yourselves in, because this is the movie that's called Jurassic Park Life Finds a Way. Oh, I like it. Nice little <laughs> Ian Malcolm reference there. There you go. And the director, the king of reboots, J.J. Mm. Abrams. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Nice choice. <laughs> So he was behind Star Wars Episode Seven, as well as Star, Star Trek, Trek, as well as Lost. If anyone's a which fan wasn't of, a reboot, but well, yeah. no, but I'm just citing his credentials yes. at this point. All right, so let's go straight into it. So our tale begins with a flashback. Do you we- like how I started with a cold open? <laughs> yeah, and we have a young John Hammond, played by Colin Firth. Oh, I was hoping you'd say Matty D. <laughs> That's like the perfect opportunity to insert yourself. Well, since you, uh, since I appear in your movie. Um, I think it's only fair that I introduce you in this point as like a Sherpa. You can be carrying, <laughs> you can be carrying, okay. carrying John's bags because I've he's gone sort from of turtle to Sherpa. <laughs> what we're going to be seeing is we're going to be seeing John Hammond as he chips Amber out of a tree. Uh, John in the Hammond, Himalayas, apparently, yeah. the Sherpas. <laughs> uh, someone who's guiding him around this uh, exotic region. Right. You're um, a native of this like area, whatever. The Alfred area Molina character from Indiana Jones. You, exactly. In fact, this whole setup is very Indiana Jones esque. I like it. And he's chipping away and he finds the amber, the famous amber that we all know that makes time travel possible. No, that makes Jurassic Park possible. Yeah. And the he dino t- DNA. And he turns to his colleague who we don't see. He says that this discovery will change the world. Sorry, let me just go back there a second. So as he's chipping away, he starts telling the story to somebody who's off screen, a colleague, about him being a young hustler, him doing the, the flea market days. Very similar. Colin jo- Firth, yeah, John Hammond. Colin Firth, John Hammond. Very similar to the first Jurassic Park. And once he finds the amber of the mosquito that we saw in the previous movies, John Hammond says that this discovery will change the world. Now we flash forward. And we're in the rocking 60s. Oh, the swinging 60s. The swinging 60s. John Hammond is hard at work in his office. His colleague, who we now see, passes tea to him, who's working with him tirelessly. And the colleague who's working with him is Jeff Goldblum. Not playing uh, his returning character, Malcolm... X? No, Ian Malcolm. Ian Malcolm. Um, He's playing a different character. This is just kind of like a nod, a cameo to Jeff Goldblum because he was such a big part of this franchise. So everyone gets their little cameo. Yeah, that's nice. Thank you. Sort of like in the Brady Bunch movies where all the original Brady Bunch actors have cameos. Exactly. I like it. So, he's got papers all spread out. They're working tirelessly. They haven't had night's sleep in ages. And they're busy doing a whole heap of drugs because it's the <laughs> 60s, the swinging 60s. Uh, the Jeff Goldblum character, let's call him Doug. Because uh, <laughs> he's an archaeologist. Uh, says that they've got some representatives that come to meet him. And in come these impressive looking people, but very shady looking people that want to speak to John Hammond. And what they want to do is they want to buy his research to fund his research so that they could gain access to it for military purposes. Now, John disagrees. He says he's had these offers before and he says to them, like he says to everyone, no, my research is not for sale. I'm independently funded. I'm not interested in cooperating with anybody. Right. They do not take this well. They shoot Jeff Goldblum, Ooh. Doug, and they kidnap John Hammond. Mm, interesting. Now we're going to meet- Not the direction that I thought it was going to go. Now we're going to meet a new character. Her character name is Kate, <laughs> okay. which is very lazy on my part. <laughs> you didn't really put much effort into the character. That's, <laughs> that's, 
in my notes, they're just the actors' names. That's why. Right. Um, and it is played by Evangelina Lilly. Oh, okay. Yes, from from Lost, who she plays the same character, but also recently Ant Man is what she was in. Yeah, she was the Wasp. Exactly, and she's the hero of our piece. So what she's doing, we see her working very closely with animals. Uh, she's very engaging with the sort of like a mountain lion or something because her speciality, a wombat. Her speciality is she studies animal communications. Right? What, she's, like in Godzilla? And she's very, very good at it. Yes, like Godzilla. Okay. Anyway, she gets visited by the US government. So representatives in suits come and meet her. They say, we need your help. We need your assistance. Someone very important has gone missing and we need someone of your expertise. She is very reluctant to accept any offer. She's very happy just doing her work. The US government says, look, you know, we understand that you need funding for this animal project you're doing for the for the for a species bioacoustic research that you're doing for this. There's a species that's going extinct that she's working on and they agree to fund it on her behalf, but only if she helps them. So then she's like, "Okay, I will help you out. She's very reluctant about it. And this is where they take her in their chopper and they fly her out to some, you know, military base and they give her the 411 about what is happening. And this is the 60s. This is Cold War time. I keep forgetting that. And the US government tells them that about John Hammond and about his research into creating dinosaurs. Now, John Hammond is kind of a wild card. He's kind of in it for himself. The US government has been trying to like... Recruit him. You recruit him, use his technology, but he's kind of set on making a theme park. Everyone thinks he's a mad scientist, but his research is starting to show results. The thing is, much like the space race, which this movie will be kind of a metaphor for, Mm. the Russians have also been trying to recruit... (laughs) I thought you were going to say they were... (laughs) Making their own dinosaur park. They are. Uh, They were trying to recruit John Hammond, but because they aren't able to do that, they have been making their own dinosaurs. Right. Russian dinosaurs. But because their dinosaurs have not been of the same quality, they have kidnapped John Hammond. (laughs) They're just wonky versions of the dinosaurs. Like, their proportions are all wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Wrong colours. This is a metaphor for the space race because our movie here has depth. I can play one of the uh, government officials. That's my entry okay. into there. That's your cameo. Uh, yeah, that's my cameo. So she says, uh, so government officials say, look, we need you to go in. They've sort of secured this island, some no-name island somewhere, mm. where they've sort of established this centre. Island Nubla. Is that the one in the movie? Yeah. Then that can be the one in mine as well, Island Nubla, where they're creating these dinosaurs, and that's where we believe John Hammond is being captured. They're trying to get their hands on the amber, and they're trying to create better dinosaurs, and we have to stop them from doing that. So this is where we get an introduction to our our team. We've got dinosaur expert. Mm. We'll call him Robert, played by Keanu Reeves, because he has to be in everything at the moment. Exactly, exactly, because he has to be in the. Uh, he's a, he's he's the guy right now. So we're we're putting him in there. We've got very young, ahead of her time, like a child prodigy, yeah. who's uh, really good. Millie Bobby Brown, who's playing Lucy, a child mm. prodigy, and then we've got a guy who is um, Lucy Lancaster, at their escort, who is uh, a military man, played by Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Wow, because he's <laughs> going to be in everything as well. Exactly, and that is your. Uh, a team who's going to come in to this island. Wow, so now, it's very much like a Jurassic Park 2 team. Yeah, I guess so. Essentially, because we don't want to offend anyone's nationality, these people won't be Russians, but they'll be sort of Russian extremists that mm. kind of left the Russian government and decided right. to go into business yeah. for themselves. They're like James Bond style Russians. Exactly, exactly. They don't work for the Russians, they're an offshoot. Exactly, exactly like this. So this is where we'll get a flash to see Colin Firth, who's been tied up, and he'll be uh, spoken to the leader, the Russian leader. I don't have a name for him now, let's call him Vlad. Uh, he's played by Peter Stormare, of course. Mm, of course. Everyone's favourite European. 
And Peter Stormare slash Vlad tells John about his sort of plans. He says that they've been trying to create dinosaurs. It hasn't been going so well. Look because, at my T-Rex. <laughs> because the His di- arms are too long. His legs are too short. <laughs> <laughs> because the dinosaurs they create, amongst many other things, die really quickly. Yeah. They can't wait. That's what I actually imagine in all seriousness. They can't create long-lasting dinosaurs. In the meantime, they have created... And I'm not ripping you off, but they've created robotic dinosaurs. Wow. But they want the authentic thing. They want to get their hands on that technology. Um, We want real American (laughs) dinosaurs. Exactly. Of course, John Hammond does not want to play ball with them. So we get that to and fro. Dirty commies. So our gang of heroes comes in. They enter the park. They get to the the establishing shot where they see the robot dinosaurs all wandering around. So and this it's like, is ooh and ah. This is the Russian Jurassic Park. Yes, is it? it's like it's like a, a oh, kind of. This, so the Russians own Jurassic Park on Island Nubla. Yeah, but okay, it's not a theme park. It's kind of like an offshoot experimental like a breeding facility. facility. Right. Yeah, but they have them. They have them running around in sort of like like Isla Sauna. Yeah. In the Jurassic Park mythos. Exactly. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to say the breeding exactly. island. Okay. Excellent. But so there. All the dinosaurs are running around, but it's not like the wonderful Jurassic Park. It's kind of gritty, falling apart, and yeah. just like not looked after because these are bad guys. Just like Jurassic Park 2. Yeah. They run through, They a lot of hijinks happen. They eventually save uh, John Hammond and they injure Peter Stormare's Vlad <laughs> in the process. You know that Peter Stormare was in Jurassic Park. Was he? Yeah, he was in Jurassic Park 2. Was he? Yeah. What was he in Jurassic Park 2? He was just like nameless in-gen goon. Well, this is a reboot, Kieran, so I can bring Oh, him so back. this is his cameo. This is his like affectionate cameo drawing back to those original movies. Of course, of back. course, of course. You totally meant that to be an intentional. Of course, of course. I'll also mention as well, similar to you, this island has like a population, a city that lives mm. on there as well. I think a similar thing is going to happen very soon. Right. And in this scene where we see... Everybody in the room where they shoot what they believe is the big bad guy, which is, it turns out that Jeff Goldblum appears. He wasn't dead, (laughs) but... Double cross. Yeah, yeah. He was working with John Hammond and decided that John Hammond was using his research for stupid reasons and wanted to actually, you know, do something better than create a theme park. And so in the process of them escaping, Jeff Goldblum and all his henchmen, they accidentally open the gates of all the robot dinosaurs and they all just go crazy and go down to the nearby city. Sounding good. I like it now. Creating <laughs> heaps of chaos. Good so, original concept. Evangelina yep. Lily asks John Hammond, is there anything we can do? And they're like, there's no way to defeat these creatures. I mean, they are robots, but they're as strong as, you know, dinosaurs. We can't defeat them, not between us. So Evangelina Lily comes up with this great idea. She's going to release. There's a little cage of all the dinosaurs that they were trying to clone, but having DNA problems and whatnot. Right. She's going to release so those sick dinosaurs. sick and dying dinosaurs. No, no, they're not sick and dying. They're kind of like replicants. They have a short shelf life. Right. Yeah. Right? So they've just sort of kept them in and trying to make them better. So what Evangelina Lily's or Kate's idea is, is she's going to release the real dinosaurs to face off against the bad guy robot dinosaurs, mm. who by this stage, because they're running around and they're bashing in, their skin has peeled and they've become like actual, like yours, yeah. and I'm not copying you, but this is what I thought as well, Terminator monsters. Now, the the reason I say this is because I've got this clear image in my head where we're going to have a open field where we're going to have robot dinosaurs on one side. So like the opening of the X-Men cartoon where like the X-Men face <laughs> off against like Magneto's legion of whatever. Yes. We're going to have the good guy dinosaurs who are the real dinosaurs on one side. We're going to have Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Evangeline Lilly and Keanu Reeves and you know the other ones as well. But Millie Bobby really Brown. Free. Yeah, well she's not going to, she's going to be like it behind the scenes and Colin Firth. She's going to be like how she was in Godzilla. Versus Jeff Goldblum. Pointless. Jeff Goldblum and the Russians and the metal dinosaurs and there's going to be a massive big showdown because why didn't they ever do this? Why didn't they ever have a massive dinosaur and dinosaur fight? This is what the Jurassic Park movie needs and it's going to be a big open 
action-packed fight scene, robot for robot. In the process of doing this- Robot for dinosaur. Ro- sorry, yeah, robot for dinosaur. In the process of doing this, Jeff Goldblum has a secret serum with dinosaur DNA. He decides- Dino he wants DNA. To, he wants to reach the next step of evolution and he injects the DNA in himself. Oh, here we go. Turning into and almost becoming a fly of himself becomes- oh, Wow. A human dinosaur-, dinosaur Hybrid? Screaming in pain. <laughs> wow. Anyway, dinosaurs attack- They defeat the robot dinosaurs. It's a great big emotional moment full of dramatic music. And they jump on a helicopter and fly off. The dinosaurs? No, no, no. The main characters jump on, get on a helicopter and barely escape. John Hammond looks down from his chopper or helicopter as he sees the winning dinosaurs. The dinosaurs who won the fight just walking around just being dinosaurs. At this stage, they've evacuated all the people in the cities and they're all left. And Evangelina Lilly says, you know, that was a horrible mistake. At least at least these dinosaurs don't have long to live and we can put this all behind us. You should never ever play with Meddling nature. Meddling God's like domain. Exactly. And John Hammond says, not at all. In fact, this has showed me how not to do it or this has shown me the mistakes to make. When I make my dinosaurs, they'll be perfect. Are you going to use the same music? Yeah. And that's the end. Wow. I like how it almost turned into my movie at the end there. Yeah, I was really surprised to hear you say that. I guess we both want to see the same sort of thing from a Jurassic Park movie. I want to see dinosaurs fight dinosaurs. Something new would be nice. Mm. And I guess we really went all out and definitely did a lot of new stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Whether it's good or not, I suppose it's up to everybody else's interpretation, but it certainly was new, if anything. (laughs) So I suppose I should say, if anybody has any ideas of what could be done in a Jurassic Park reboot, please let us know. Let us know what you think about ours. I'm sure it would be equally, if not more entertaining than ours. Yeah. And you can let us know at our email address, which is potentialspoilerspod, all one word, at gmail.com. Otherwise, we've got a Facebook page. We've got a Facebook group. Potential Spoilers Podcast, which is pretty easy to find if you know how to use Facebook and can use the search function like a regular 21st century human being. (laughs) So yeah, find us there. Send us a DM or a PM. Yeah. And let us know what ideas you have. It'd be something that I'd be really interested in knowing. I would be too. Now, I'm also excited to announce what we're going to be covering next week. Mm -hmm. Again, we're taking a break from predicting the plot of upcoming movies. They don't have enough movies. And we're actually going to start revisiting movies that we've already talked about and seeing how close our predictions were to what actually happened in the movie. I've got this great idea. I think we'll explore it more in the next episode where we're actually going to grade each other's predictions. (laughs) Yeah, you've spoken about this. I think I'll be a bit more easygoing with our earlier predictions because we sort of didn't know what we were doing to start with. Yeah, we are kind of lazy. Not lazy, but very shy. Yeah, we'll go into this next episode and I think the show's very much grown since then, but I think it'll be a fun concept to revisit our initial ideas and I suppose the first few episodes of the podcast itself. So next week, we will be revisiting Captain Marvel and seeing exactly how close we got. So if you haven't seen Captain Marvel or are going to see Captain Marvel, listen to our show beforehand about it. Or even just watch the movie. Yeah, But you'll get more out of it if you have heard our episode. It's very much going to be a companion piece to that episode and I think it'll be a great time. Yeah. So please join us then. And then see you next week. Yeah, see you then. Hello. Hello. If you can hear me, congratulations. Way to go. Way to go. You made it through. You made it through. You spent all that time, and now you're done. You did it. That's quite an achievement. My, my gosh, you, you looked a 20-foot carnivore right in the eye, and you've lived to tell about it. Well, you are something. Thank you. Thank you for, for sticking with it, for not giving up. That is really something. Now, you know what you should do? Turn the thing off, for, for, for heaven's sakes, and go outside. You know... 
breathe the air, take a walk, call a member of the opposite sex. You know what I'm talking about. You know, you have a whole life, life out there. Get the stink blown off you. Just, just go. Go, really. Turn off. You. I mean, really. What was that? Hello, hello. Okay, I go, I go.